0: Welcome to Banners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins.
1: I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we will be finishing out our thing, our Abby with chapters 28 through 31.
0: Yes. So exciting. And we have our usual guest. <laughs>
2: <Kristen> <laughs>
0: <Smith>. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, everyone excited to finally be done. I mean, I was quite pleased with the end of the book too so I was like I mean I'm glad to be moving on to something new but I really enjoyed all that we did with Northanger Abbey (laughs) yeah yeah it was fun
2: it was really fun it's like being
0: in college again
2: (laughs) it's like the reason
3: I I majored in literature to start with was to talk books and ideas with smart people so it's been a super (laughs) fun
0: (laughs) I've really enjoyed getting like in doing the recaps and getting into the details of what's going on because it just you know all, they all stick with me a lot more so I can really mm. um, you know get the full I don't know what word I'm looking for
1: <laughs> <laughs> the full experience you so just you like drop
0: <laughs> them into
3: conversation in the future <laughs> yes. yes randomly
4: <laughs> when it
3: comes um, up
0: <laughs> yeah definitely hold on one second please excuse me well <laughs> uh, so shall we do our first impressions of the final chapters
3: yeah i sure. want to hear christians first
0: yeah it's the Christian. only one who hasn't yes. read it yet yeah.
1: <laughs> um i i thought it, i enjoyed it a lot um i found these last few chapters probably out of all of them to me the most like captivating to read like i I felt like out of nowhere, because it starts off, you know, out of nowhere, just being like this tragic thing where she has to leave. And you're like, wait, what's going on? And like, it's almost like <laughs> a little mystery where you're trying to like, like, I need to know the real reason, And which you could have guessed the real reason. But yeah, I thought it was the most the minimal, one of the more entertaining parts of the book, for sure. I enjoyed it a lot.
0: So were you totally shocked when that happened?
1: You um, got thrown out? In a way, yes. Cause I feel like earlier, cause we don't find out until like towards more to the end of the book of why she got kicked out. Yeah. But it seems like, at least to us, like we were like the whole time, like Catherine was probably thinking like, well, didn't he know that the whole time that she wasn't super wealthy? <laughs> and right. so I guess it, it was like, yeah, it was shocking to see, like, I was like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, when we left it last week, I was like, there's almost no hint as to what is about to happen. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think this time Kristen
3: um well I enjoyed it of course um there's a couple of details that I'll, I'll go over when we do the recap that surprised me or that I really noticed this time I don't know I guess uh just the very end part when she comes back and she's all grown up and her mother is completely clueless um <laughs> oh. I just found that very amusing <laughs> yes. Like her mom expects her to still be this little girl and she has no idea what's going on in her mind. And <laughs> So that was fun. Yeah, it was good I to see Mrs. Allen it. again. <laughs>
4: yeah, I
0: actually, that was my impression of these last chapters this time through was there's so many characters in these last few chapters that we barely knew before. And it's like, oh, we finally get to know you in the yeah. like, <laughs> second of the book. And it kind of made me kind of think, when I was doing the deep dive, of course I did Catherine because I mean yeah, she deserves it. <laughs> but I was like, oh look, this is a great Eleanor section. This actually showed some really good Mrs. Moreland stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and and Sarah, my new favorite character. <laughs> she, she you can see really... it if you
3: just look out the window. My <laughs> she was so funny. Such a sister. I know
0: she's the only one who defended her when they came back and she was like i can't believe they did that to you (laughs) yeah so yeah my impressions were just of course you know the whole ending i felt like the wrap-up wasn't as funny as some of the jane austen books that like i sense insensibility is like the pinnacle of the wrap-up in my mind but Mm -hmm. but there was so much that actually happened within the last chapter that normally is just like a flyby we just but we actually kind of see like what actually happens over the course of a year yeah. in one chapter so anyway i really loved this book <laughs> <And> i love <laughs> these chapters <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay well let's do notes now yes okay exactly we want to do this because we all looked at our annotated versions and picked out little things that we had missed along the way that we thought would be a good addition to notes so I've actually got two different little things so I can do the first one now and then okay keep going (laughs) yeah okay so my first um, little thing that I found in my book was about circulating libraries So before the establishment of the free public library in the 19th century, there were circulating libraries and for like one or two pounds of subscription fee, you could go in and borrow books like a normal library. And by the mid 1800s, the majority of novels that were purchased just in general were purchased for these subscription libraries. Okay. That was really interesting. Yeah. Um, There's a little antidote that said once Jane Austen got an invitation from um, Mrs. Martin to join her library with the careful assurance that her collection is not to consist only of novels, but every kind of literature and C and C. <laughs> <laughs> I think that and C and C is like it's something that we just miss nowadays. <laughs> we need to like that, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but w- when Austen wrote to her sister, Cassandra about this invitation she said this pretension might have been spared our family who are great novel readers and not ashamed of being so (laughs) (laughs) and in the 1800s there were several circulating libraries in Bath they were also a good place for upscale social mixers and visitors would often join the library on arrival to Bath and that would make the subscription ledger there a must read for knowing who was in town so that's all I got on lending libraries or circulating libraries, but
2: <laughs> okay, <that laughs> I, I, it's was in... pretty interesting.
0: They never appear in any of these bath novels of Jane Austen's. You never see them going to a circulating library, but she probably spent a lot of her own time in them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was like, um, in part of my, the introduction of my book was talking about those libraries and how that was like really responsible for the big boom of novels and how more people were able to read things because it was cheaper to just rent the book than to basically yeah. go out and buy it and that's how basically yeah. everything got around so much.
0: Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> A great practice
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: since libraries are like one of the best inventions ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, Christian, do you want to go ahead and tell us what you found in yours?
1: Sure. Um so I in my book they were saying that they were talking about how the process of her writing these books and then coming back to them later and then the process of going through getting them published and how I think the and sensibility that the on the author part, all she put was by a lady. And I thought uh-huh. that was so interesting. Like I I kind of feel like because I didn't really take a lot of female authors seriously. I felt like it kind of like made like a little bit of mystery around who wrote it. So maybe it would kind of pique mm-hmm. people's interest. And then for Sense and Sensibility, all she put was by the same author who wrote, or for Pride and Prejudice, she wrote Sense yeah, you know. And so I, I thought right that either. was so interesting. And then in my book, it says that after she died and then her brother released Persuasion and Northanger Abbey, that at that point is when they announced who actually wrote all these books. And so it was like, feels so like interesting that the book that we're reading is the one where she finally got the recognition but it was like her first yeah. book that she actually technically wrote or was I know, writing
0: i was really struck by that Do, like doing the notes and wrapping this whole thing up like this is so kind of like her first and last in a way i mean it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. the last last but um it came out after her death but it was the first right. that she tried to get published and maybe she actually wrote. I just found the whole juxtaposition it like kind of encompasses her yeah. whole career in a way.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was like a full circle moment where it was like the first book she had kind of like seriously was putting together and going back and forth with was the first book where really she got recognition for her talent. So I thought that was so yeah. cool. Are you say something?
0: I-, I was just gonna say that I have read that it was not known to the public at large who wrote them, but it was pretty well known to the people who knew Jane Austen, that she was the one right. who wrote them because she was always lamenting like, this is the worst secret ever. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody seems to know.
1: <laughs> That's really funny. I, I figured it was because it didn't seem like it was like this, like national like scandal where it was like, Oh my God, like what a surprise. It seemed like it was like, yeah. Oh yeah. Kind of Everyone knew about it. <laughs> and they were saying they, they went into this whole, talk about how there are two parts the first half and the second half of Northanger Abbey are kind of like tributes to the satire of the novels and how the first half is this whole thing about how we're meeting this heroine and instead of like having this normal thing where she has all these like tragic, awful things happen to her and she has to deal with them and it makes her so emotional and everything that all these things that would normally do that to the heroines in these novels are it's just ordinary reactions and this really plain kind of like look into real life, which I thought was so cool. It was almost like the precursor to these peak into real life movies they're doing now that are really popular, yeah. like marriage story and all those. Um, yeah. And then the second half of the book is kind of like satirizing how the dramatic elements of like the mysteries of Adolfo mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it just yeah. ends up being this whole thing. And they talk about how a lot of the books a lot of the things that she wrote before she started writing this book, she was, I guess, very serious about satire. That was like kind of like her main thing growing up, about writing all these little like I don't know if they were plays or little like essays or something, but how kind of like her this Northanger Abbey was like this build up point, like the end point to all these interest in satire and how she really the book was made the satire novellas but also to like praise the art form of it and so right. it goes into this whole thing about how she wanted this book to be making fun of them but also showing how the art form could be molded into so many different things and how great it was and how she just didn't want to make fun of it like these other authors were doing that yeah. were like you know hoity-toity mm-hmm. so I thought it was like so cool because most of the authors were women and it just was like a great, great little like nod to her about how she just didn't fall into like the patriarchy's goal of, you know, making fun of
2: women.
0: Yeah. I think whenever we finally, I don't know when we will, but when we get to the juvenilia, it'll be interesting to see like the satire that she was writing that led to Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Yeah. Just for
3: like straight up funny at least, like about as funny as Northanger Abbey, uh, <laughs> the history of England is oh. the one that I remember most um, as being just hilarious. Because <laughs> I, I can't even, I can't do it justice, of course, because it's it's all in the language, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. But highly <laughs> suggest that. And it's I short. I
0: have an edition so. of that. That's like half if you turn it over, so like one half of it is the Jane Austen history of England, but when you turn it over and I think it's like a Charles Dickens history of England or something. And you <laughs> uh-huh. can read it the other direction.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That'll be fun to get to. <laughs> oh yeah. Was that all Christian?
1: Um, I think so. I, thought, I just thought it was so cool how I just like the, how her life built up to this point about how so early on she could see how these like, how ridiculous some of the novels were but how entertaining she found them and how she could separate that at such a young age and then kind of build on her art form to come to this point where she's like made this book where it's it's a novel but it's making fun of them at the same time but then also changing the art form and how just yeah almost like revolutionary it was it's so cool
0: she's brilliant (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right Kristen what have you got for
3: us so in my annotated edition um,
0: I love that we have three different annotated versions.
3: Yeah, I <laughs> Mine includes a couple, well, four early reviews of Northanger Abbey, and so I'm just going to go through them real quick, sort of give you a summary of of how the novel was received when it first came out. Yeah, so definitely. the the first two are really similar in terms of what they're interested in, and they both say this is a great book. And we're very sad that she's died and we're not going to get any more. And then they say, but she has no imagination, basically, because she's copying everything straight from life. And so, you know, it's <laughs> it's a really limited scope. So they uh-huh. kind of were saying it's a good book and it's a lot of fun, but, you know, it's not, I don't know, creative, I guess. I don't right. know, artistic. <laughs> artistic. And... So those are the first two. Those are both when the novel first came out in 1818, and that was the British critic, and the other one was uh, Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine. Oh, and and the first one actually gives spoilers uh, to the book, Rude. so you know you know <laughs> what know. happens at the end and why.
2: <laughs> yeah. So
3: that was funny, <laughs> but they do both say you know that they think she's one of the best novelists working at the time. So it's not that it's all negative (laughs) or anything. I would consider them positive (laughs) reviews. They're just looking for something to criticize. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the first one, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) The first one also says um, Northanger Abbey is one of the very best of Miss Austin's productions and will every way repay the time and trouble of perusing it. The third, (laughs) (laughs) um, the third, Uh, review from 1818 um says and remember that uh persuasion was was published in the same book right so this is what it says the two novels now published have no connection with each other (laughs) The the characters in both are principally taken from the middle ranks of life and are well supported Northanger abbey however is decidedly preferable to the second novel So
0: there you go. (laughs) It's funny because I bet there's way more Persuasion fans in the world than North Carolina. That's (laughs) what I was thinking. I I think now
3: most people would say the opposite, but yeah. Yeah, so that was funny. And then the last one was from 1821. So this is, you know, a few years on and there's only a couple of really interesting parts to this. It's quite long. Um, (laughs) This apparently was the Archbishop of Dublin who wrote this review right. for uh, a publication called Quarterly Review? So the two things that I think are of interest to us would be he spends the first part of the uh, of the review saying the time seems to be past when an apology was requisite from reviewers for condescending to notice a novel. <laughs> so basically, novels are okay now. We can all admit yeah. that we like them, <laughs> right? <laughs> And he says that that may partly be because fashionable in novels has changed and it's no longer your Radcliffe and like crazy gothic stuff that's popular, right. uh, but this realistic stuff has come into fashion. And so people are more willing to admit that they like that. <laughs> um, he at least does not call it a failure of imagination that she's doing realism. <laughs> right. He, qu- he quotes a review of Emma from 1815, which was actually written by Sir Walter Scott. Oh. And Sir Walter Scott wrote a very good review of Emma and says a lot of the things that we tend to think ourselves in that, you know, it's not a failure of imagination, but actually takes a lot of creativity to make real life right. worth reading about, you know, <laughs> and also feel <laughs> applicable to everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, there was that. And then
0: I think that was, those were the two things that I. You know, I'm wondering how funny were novels back then? Was Jane Austen really unique in that? Because I find the humor is the best part. And it's like, nobody ever even Mm -hmm. mentions that. And I'm like, yeah, reading just a bunch of hilarious novels (laughs) that this doesn't stand out to you.
3: (laughs) So my experience is no, not really.
2: Um, (laughs) There were
3: some, but I don't think that they've, valued maybe in the same way that we do so like we tend to think of humor as really worthwhile talking about and thinking about but not so much at the time with english um i did want to read this this passage though um so uh the archbishop of dublin is going on and on and on and and despite the fact that he feels like he or he says he doesn't need to uh, defend reading a novel. He spends a lot of time defending reading this novel. But, um, <laughs> but what he says is he finally gets to a point where he's talking about how she uses portraits of individual lives, even though they're not real lives, but individual lives to show us about people, like types of people and things. Right. So, um, so then he says, among the authors of this school, there is no one superior, if equal, to the lady whose last production is now before us, and whom we have much regret and finally taking leave of. So he says that, you know, she's absolutely one of the best. And he ends by just laughing about John Thorpe because he finds John Thorpe hilarious. so <laughs> So that was good. <laughs> good way to end. But. So those were the reviews uh, that I found.
0: Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the other thing that I thought we might want to mention is that, because it was published post posthumously. The word. I'm usually not that bad with words, but <laughs> posthumously. <sighs> I don't think I've ever said it out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because that, uh, it had a biographical notice of the author written by her brother, Henry, and I... And I thought we might want to hear one of the paragraphs I found especially sweet that he wrote in that. It was really long, so I just really picked the best
2: paragraph.
0: (laughs) It says, to those who lament their irreparable loss, it is conciliatory to think that as she never deserved disapprobation, so in the circle of her family and friends, she never met reproof, that her wishes were not only reasonable, but gratified and that the little disappointments incidental to human life was never added even for a moment in abatement of goodwill from any who knew her i thought that was really sweet and then um i don't know if it was her sister or brother but they also added a postscript to the biographical notice which were just quotes from her letters like her most recent letters because they didn't want they were like, just look, listen to how great she is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, here's um, a quote from one of her final letters written just a few weeks before her death. She said, my attendant is encouraging and talks of making me quite well. I live chiefly on the sofa, but I'm allowed to walk from one room to the other. I've been out once in a sedan chair and I'm to repeat it and be promoted to a wheelchair as the, as the weather serves. <laughs> on this subject, I will only say further that my dearest sister, my tender, watchful, indefatigable nurse, has not been made ill by her exertions. As to what I owe her and to the anxious affection of all my beloved family on this occasion, I can only cry over it and pray to God to bless them more and more. Oh. No, I just thought we should maybe end with a little quote from Jane. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah. That's what was making me think,
0: like, oh my god, this is the end of her life, but this is also, I'm thinking of this as the beginning of her career at the same time.
1: Yeah. It's uh, a weird little, like, juxtaposition. Um, I love how supportive her family was, like, her entire life. Like, how her father loved her writing so much that he submitted it to be published first, and how they never I read that she received one one um, proposal and that she rejected it and it doesn't seem like it had any effect on her family like they were like ashamed that she was still single or Hmm. upset (laughs) they were just like okay yeah
0: yeah yeah Um, it's gonna be daunting whenever we finally get to our Jane Austen biography day or days (laughs) I imagine (laughs) but um (laughs) uh yeah there's a I didn't include any of that in the notes, but like, but she has mm-hmm. a couple of interesting romantic stories. But it seems like that's all anybody ever focuses on in her biographies, because I guess because she wrote about love and didn't get married. Everybody finds it such a weird thing. But you know, I try to stay away from what everybody else is talking about.
2: Sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. But we'll um, definitely
0: get to it.
3: I'm sorry. I mean, to interrupt. No.
2: Uh,
3: um, it, it's. I think it's funny that like our take on her as a personality and and thinking about her family and everything uh, is just really positive. And, you know, she seems like a nice person and, and everything like that. And then I think about a lot of the critical things that I've read over the years, since like the seventies, when feminist yeah. criticism was coming up seventies and the eighties and like now where a lot of critics seem to be much more interested in presenting her in a much more complicated light. So as very radical or very, very snarky, (laughs) maybe beyond snarky. She definitely has elements
0: of both of those
3: too. (laughs) Yeah. Or somehow subversive. So like the narrative of her life for so long was she was this really nice, you know, sparkling kind of person that everybody loved. And now we're all like, not us, maybe. (laughs)
2: But (laughs) but a
3: lot of the critics are, are like, no, she's, she's more complicated. She's not nice. She's (laughs) She's <laughs> radical and, and whatever else. <laughs> Not that those two things are exclusive, Yeah, but
0: yeah. you know what I mean. Well, you know, I definitely think there's room to say that she was radical in her own way, but I don't think that negates her being nice. And I think her family seems very <laughs> supportive of her in general. Yep. And, you know, you can't sometimes life just you know, takes away your dad and you don't have an income and you have to live in Bath for several years. And it seems kind of <laughs> like maybe things aren't great, but then, you know, your brother lets you live in his cottage.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it could still be nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly. Or
0: I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, I think right. she, the main thing is that she seems to really understand people and yeah. what makes them tick and, can and can care it. about them. Yeah.
3: she so clearly cares about Catherine and Eleanor and Henry and, all of them so
0: yeah i mean there's a point where she's like an eleanor who even this author thinks deserves it so much you know i can't (laughs) (laughs) remember we'll get to it we might as well get to the recap and just get to it then
4: yeah (laughs)
0: So chapter 28, the general has to go to London for a week, but he's really anxious that Catherine won't suffer from his absence. (laughs) And Catherine is just loving it when he's gone because everybody's happy and they're able to do what they want, when they want. And um, (laughs) Catherine was just loving everything more and more every day. She's been there for four weeks now and she's starting to feel like, oh, you know, maybe I'm at the edge of overstaying my welcome so she decides to talk to Eleanor and volunteer to leave and Eleanor is like no I want you to stay longer please (laughs) she says I'm sure your parents would agree if they knew how much we want you here was like oh my parents don't care (laughs) she just doesn't want to overstay her welcome and Eleanor assures her that she should stay and she's like okay and Henry is all smiles (laughs) When she says that she will, she says, I think she says that she almost believed Henry loves her at this point because of how excited he is for her to stay. But Henry still has to go to work. So he has to leave for a few days and the girls are actually having a great time together. It's not like the last time Henry left and she's like, oh, he's not here. (laughs) She's just having a great time with Eleanor. They stay up to like 11 o'clock at night eating dinner and just hanging out and then they hear a carriage and Eleanor assumes that it's Frederick so she goes to meet him and Catherine is like "Ooh, Frederick I'm gonna go back up to my room for a little while because she doesn't really want to meet Frederick although she thinks she could do so civilly
2: <laughs>
0: which is funny so she's up in her room waiting for Eleanor for like half an hour when she hears something outside her door and she opens it because she's not a scaredy pants anymore and finds (laughs) Eleanor standing there and Eleanor is like pale and agitated and just like hovering outside her door and Catherine is like really concerned for her so she brings her in and sits her down she rubs her temples and worries over her because she's just so out of sorts it seems but Eleanor is like I I can't bear it because she's actually there on such an errand she says (laughs) (laughs) Catherine assumes somebody is dead, one of her family members she (laughs) assumes. And Eleanor is like, no, 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 Uh, it's not that, but it's my father that's causing me all this distress. And um, she says, don't think less of, she says not to think less of her because she's an unwilling messenger. She says, the happiness you've provided is to be repaid. And then she trails off and says that her family has to leave suddenly. And they're going to Lord Log Towns for a fortnight. And Catherine is like, Okay, I mean, I'm sad that we have to be part parted, but I'm not offended or anything like that. And she invites Eleanor to come to visit her in Fullerton when she can. And Eleanor is like, uh, I can I don't think that's actually within my power. And Catherine still is kind of oblivious, thinking, Oh, everything's fine. You know, it's not fine, fine, but it's not that big of a deal. So Catherine's like, okay, well, it's no big a deal. I can go Monday. I'll be ready to leave when you leave. And Eleanor's like, oh, I wish it could be like that. But actually you have to leave tomorrow at 7am. The carriage has already been called. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, you're not getting any servant. (laughs) And Eleanor in this scene literally talks more than she has in the whole entire book. <laughs> she's so distraught over how poorly Catherine is being treated and how, like how little power she has in the situation and Catherine at this now is like uh have i offended the general in some way and eleanor is like there's no way you could have offended him to make him justify acting like this and Catherine, she tries to compose herself and says that she's sorry if she offended him and tells Eleanor not to worry. She can manage to leave in the morning. And Eleanor is like pointing out the trip is 70 miles from 70 miles. It's not safe for you. And uh, Catherine, is, she takes it like a real grown woman. I mean, she takes it really well, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after Eleanor leaves the room, Catherine finally bursts into tears. Which I'm very proud of her for compo- keeping her composure until Eleanor left. She's never been able to yeah. not burst into tears when she wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> so she burst into tears. General had always seemed so fond of her. And so she's really confused. She's sat, really sad to leave Henry without even a goodbye. And she's, she recognizes that this is actually very insulting and is an intentional affront to her. And she thinks, I must have offended him in some way. Poor Catherine, the girl who we know cannot not sleep under any circumstance. (laughs) Doesn't sleep at all that night. I imagine she's probably packing for the majority of the evening. She reflects on the difference between her perceived fears when she got there, you know, when she first was in that room, and the real dangers that are facing her now on her journey home. So she has no emotion to spare on her old Abby fears. Eleanor comes up super early wanting to help Catherine in any way she can, but Catherine's already pretty much packed and ready to go. The girls can't really think of anything to say to each other as they finish packing. And Catherine tries to eat breakfast, but can barely choke anything down. She's basically just eating to not worry Eleanor. But I'm like, girl, you need to eat. You haven't slept all night. You're about to go on a carriage ride (laughs) that I don't even begin to want to comprehend. And uh, (laughs) you need to eat something. (laughs) And she's reflecting that like just 24 hours ago, they were having the best time. And now everything has changed so dramatically. (sighs) And the carriage arrives. And Catherine actually starts to feel some resentment. And uh, she's like, you know, understandably she, it's probably the first time in this whole book that she's actually felt like wronged, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah. so, but Eleanor is like imploring her to write to her at least write to let her know she's got home safe, but she's like, you'll have to send it to this other girl at this other place because I'm not really allowed to get your letters. And Catherine is like, well, if you're not allowed to get a letter from me, then I probably shouldn't write you. And Eleanor looks so sad that Catherine <laughs> is just like, Okay, yes, all right, don't worry. (laughs) And then Eleanor asks Catherine how much money she has to get her home, and Catherine never even crossed her mind that she might need some money to get home. (laughs) But um, now she's starting to realize how much that would have sucked if she hadn't had any money. Um, (laughs) So Eleanor gives her some, and then it's time to leave. But before she does... She wants to leave her kind remembrance for her absent friend, which is all she can get out before she starts to burst into tears. And when she goes, she doesn't want to cry in front of Eleanor, she runs out of the house and straight into the carriage. It's just like, oh, <laughs> Catherine, I just feel her pain so much. Okay. Oh, so that's the end of chapter 28. Do you guys have anything you wanted to say about that chapter?
2: <laughs>
1: yes. I found this chapter really put into perspective for me the the thumb, the reality of like traveling during that time and how big of a deal it was because like in if you're talking about like today's terms, if she literally had to leave the next morning, it's like, okay, no big deal. But then like back then, like it was an all, basically an all day carriage ride through the country. She's by herself with a driver, I'm assuming. And she is just like, gonna have to brave the elements hope nothing happens and hope yeah. she gets home <laughs> and so it's just like and she also like didn't have any money technically yeah. so she didn't even like at the last minute she's like oh man i can have any money yeah like,
0: well and the carriage out. that the general ordered her is only taking her to a town where she has to change carriages to like the post carriage like right. the normal public transportation and she has to make several stops i think they imply along the way so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah very full of potential perils not to mention if she had just come across yeah. some unscrupulous person because she's just like a teenage girl traveling alone yeah. right yeah. did you have anything else Kristen?
2: yeah
0: <laughs> or christian either one of you you
1: guys,
0: I, I forgot well i do if <laughs> christian's
1: talking. yeah i'm trying to remember what i said so you can go
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess so the thing that i noticed this time was we've spent this whole book like learning that real life is not all dramatic, like a Mm -hmm. fiction, like a book. Mm -hmm. And yet in this chapter, we've got like all these fiction tropes, like the carriage that comes (laughs) late at night mysteriously, and the faltering footstep outside. And when Eleanor comes in, she's as white as a ghost and (laughs) she can't even speak. And it's like all these book tropes, like come straight back in and happen after we've been told yeah. all this time. And yeah, they happened. all feel so right. totally so, realistic.
0: Like if you were in that situation, that would yeah. be how you would be reacting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't need any ghosts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of like balancing. So
3: I was amused by that.
1: balancing, like the novel and the realism that she likes to play with. Of how like dramatic it seems, but it's still also kind of dramatic, considering yeah. the situation. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll come back to my other thought later because it pertains to the ending of the book.
3: Okay. So, we'll come back to <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of it reminds me of Henry Tilney's comment that you know things like this, like the general killing his wife, things like this can't happen in our culture mm-hmm. in our society mm-hmm. um, because we don't live in a book. And here she shows us that you know
2: <laughs> like, we're living in a yeah. book,
3: and these things can happen. And while the general is not maybe didn't murder his wife, Catherine eventually figures out what she didn't, she wasn't actually too far yeah. off in some ways in understanding yeah. his character. Mm-hmm. So um, it really complicates Henry Tilney's supposed explanation of yeah. the real world. Yeah. Cause so. if Henry
0: mm-hmm. had been, had known about any of this before it happened, I'm sure he would have never wanted Catherine to go alone. At a, I mean, I, we know from what he says later, but you know, yeah, he still knows that there really are dangers out there, I'm sure, <laughs> even though he was, like, professing, you know, my father's not a murderer. That doesn't mean that there aren't any murderers. <laughs> <And
2: he's> like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, chapter 29. So, Catherine is too wretched to be fearful. Uh, she cries <laughs> for a while at first, and so she actually misses the final view of the Abbey, which is funny, because she missed the first view of the Abbey, so she's because of the rain and now she's missing the final view because of her tears (laughs) once she can look out the window again everything she sees just makes her feel worse and worse especially when they're passing woodson which was like such a great trip last time they went out that way and she's thinking oh henry is right there and he doesn't know anything about what's going on he doesn't know i'm passing in a carriage right now (laughs) he doesn't know that i'm (laughs) leaving in shame
2: i
3: was thinking if this was a bronte book she would have gotten out and like (laughs) Walk the five miles <laughs> probably,
0: to <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> to, to tell him. <laughs> yes, definitely. She still she can't think of what she could have done. She thinks of her suspicions of the general, but she doesn't even believe for a second that Henry would have betrayed her. She's like, only me and Henry. I mean, it's not like she even told Henry her suspicions. Henry just guessed what her suspicions were. So there's no way he would tell the general, oh, by the way, <laughs> Catherine was thinking this about you. <laughs> Which I think is great that she doesn't even consider that, which is very unlike the adaptations, I will say.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's wondering, oh, but she dwells on most is that though, is what Henry will think and do when he arrives back at the Abbey and finds her gone. Sometimes she thinks he'll take it calmly, and sometimes she thinks he will express regret to Eleanor at least, but she doesn't really think that he'll express anything to his father. <laughs> so sorry (laughs) she doesn't have a lot of faith in that aspect (laughs) so the trip isn't actually too tedious because she's actually kind of scared to go home and have to see them all again after being gone for 11 weeks and then she has to explain that she was basically thrown out so she's not like anticipating getting there so it's not that bad of a trip but 11 hours so she doesn't know anything about traveling, but luckily, since Eleanor gave her the money, she was very generous in her tipping everyone, and so everyone's very nice to her. <laughs> and the, post, the postmaster told her which carriages to take, and no one gave her any trouble. So after 11 hours, <laughs> between 6 and 7 in the evening, she arrives back to Fullerton. Now, I drive to Tennessee at least a few times a year usually to see my sister and that's like a nine nine and a half hour drive and when I get there I feel like my body is rattling out of my skin like I just feel so shaken (laughs) I can't even imagine 11 hours in a carriage I just she's probably like Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) she hasn't slept the night before she's barely eaten anything all day she's been in a carriage for 11 hours crying I mean this girl must be a wreck (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, she's only 17 so (laughs) (laughs) that helps so uh, Jane Austen says that some authors might have their heroine arrive back in a giant carriage with servants to the cheering of the town but not this author (laughs) she brings home alas her heroine in solitude and disgrace and the post boy (laughs) speedily drives her through the town because I guess the carriage gets there then she has to take another little carriage to her house and they drop her up. he drops her off at the parish, and the whole family is at the window when she arrives because they so rarely get visitors, and the carriages that come by is even less rarely stop at the house. But they exclaim with happiness when they realize it's her, and they all assemble at the door to greet her, and they all hug, and Catherine is soothed beyond anything she believed possible. What a nice reunion to be home. And everybody just is so happy to see you and loves you. And they don't ask her any questions at first, you know? (laughs) So they all sit down to the tea table and mom has already noticed the distress, but gives her space to tell her story. And when Catherine tells the whole story, they're all offended. How could the general act in such a way But after about half an hour, they decide it was a strange business and he must be a very strange man and, or man, and it's something not at all worth understanding. So they explain, but Sarah is still pissed. I like that. Sarah, (laughs) my new favorite character. She's like, how can I do this? For days, she's still talking about it. (laughs) Uh Mama is glad that she didn't know about the journey because she would have been pretty worried. But now that she's back, she's happy that Catherine did such a great job of getting home on her own. She just proved that she is not like <laughs> so scatterbrained. She can actually... And now I'm, I feel like I'm quoting the <laughs> adaptation. She can shift for herself. <laughs> her parents aren't too worried about Catherine. They think that she will be fine soon. But Either of them even considered for a second that she might be in love and nursing a broken heart <laughs> so the next morning cat Kath- i i was wondering how late did catherine sleep that day i wonder
2: <laughs> they sent <laughs> her to bed
0: super early i think and i bet she slept a long time <laughs> but she sits down to write eleanor and finds it very difficult it's kind of too hard to be nice and grateful while she still has so many not nice and ungrateful feelings about the whole situation. <laughs> Plus, Henry might read it, so she has to be especially careful in that. So she just decides to keep it as brief as possible. She returns the money to Eleanor that Eleanor lent her, and she thanks her. And Mrs. Moreland is sorry about all her new friends sucking so bad. <laughs> hopes that the next <laughs> friend she makes will be more <laughs> worth keeping. And Catherine defends Eleanor, but she doesn't know how she would talk to her again. So then she starts thinking about Henry, and she starts to get teary again, and her mom starts noticing, and she's like, how about we go visit the (laughs) Ellens? That'll get your mind off of whatever's bothering you. (laughs) And on the way over, she, Mrs. Moreland, is talking about James, and she says that they're sorry for him. But they're not really that disappointed because they never even met Isabella. And after everything that happened, they really can't think well <laughs> of her at all. And Catherine is <laughs> on the on the way to Mrs. Allen. She's remembering the last time she walked this path when she was so excited to go to bath and she would just run up and down 10 times a day <laughs> to see Mrs. Allen. <laughs> so the Allens, they're surprised and displeased to hear how she was treated, but happy to see her. Her mom is bragging up her ability to shift for herself on the way home. And Mr. Allen is reasonably disparaging of the general's behavior. And Mrs. Allen agrees. (laughs) She really (laughs) doesn't have patience for the general. She just keeps explaining that over and over. (laughs) And then she starts talking about clothes and reminiscing about Beth and even bringing up Henry, which leaves Catherine, again, unable to speak. I was wondering, do you think Mr. Allen... (laughs) wrote the general a letter of seriously displeased letter <laughs> seems like something he might do i would
1: think so <laughs>
0: i would if i were him <laughs> he seems
2: very upset
3: i don't know i mean he's not her father so he was responsible for her. <laughs> I... well yeah maybe i don't know i just
0: imagine that he was like what a jerk and then just like probably left it's like easier that way probably. i suppose place the ranch but I like to imagine that when he left and Mrs. Allen is still going on, that he went to go write a little note about how you treat people. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to write him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So walking home from the Allens, Mrs. Moreland points out that the Allens are true friends, unlike her recent friends and Catherine understands, (laughs) but she still can't stop thinking about what Henry is doing every minute. (laughs) All right. So that's the end of that chapter of 29. Do you have anything
1: else about that one? In my book, it was um noting that when she came home and how her family was more concerned with like her well-being and was like immediately like trying to console her and how awful that was that that happened to her. The book was saying how um in the notes part, how it shows how like different the Morelands are than like normal sentimental characters from novels because um, from sentimental fiction because usually they would be like asking about like troubles of the heart or like you know did you meet anyone and like what happened and how they're more concerned with like her well-being yeah. than if she met any guys or whatever so I thought that was like really really sweet to point out about how um, just how great her family life seems to be Yeah. and how like centered and down to earth her parents seem to be
0: (laughs) yeah they don't even normal think that she could they don't even ask her or like even consider that she could have fallen in love or had someone fall in love with her
1: (laughs) yeah which also made me like wonder did the allens not really say anything about henry tilney to her parents because they were met
0: a very nice man who helped me with my clothes and then never like you know
2: (laughs) i then forgot about it
0: (laughs) <laughs> did you have anything else Kristen?
3: well this is a chapter where i was just really amused at how clueless her mom was <laughs> um just because she she clearly has a picture in her mind of what katherine yeah. is <laughs> and katherine's something different now
0: yeah
3: <laughs> but um it also reminded me of oh wait we're not there
0: yet well wait i guess i'll okay. talk about it yeah because she's got chapters, that but... whole part coming up where she gets her the book <laughs> all right well um, is, i also oh, found sorry, it
1: <laughs> no, it's fine. um just real quick it I completely forgot and I didn't know if they had mentioned it before but the timeline was only like it said 11 weeks right so like three months
2: ish yeah
1: was like mm-hmm. the whole entire book and it just felt so much longer for some reason because she packed so much information and so much like interactions and
0: yeah
1: it just was like a weirdly weird like when I read it, I was like oh three
2: months
0: yeah two months she grew up bath, so much and then was... a month at the um yeah the abbey
2: at the abbey yeah. it's just yeah. so interesting and she was
0: gonna say for like a whole another month at least <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: her parents are like oh we'll so see cool. her again someday <laughs> <laughs>
1: i was like well when you've got 10 children i'm sure at this point they're like <laughs>
0: i know that's what i was thinking the whole time one like, of them's m- out mrs moreland is so removed from her own childhood that she, because of all of the kids that she's had and all of the like adulting experience that she's had that I don't think that's I think that's why mm-hmm. she doesn't consider Catherine's like, you know, what it's like when you first meet a boy or whatever. Cause she's just like so beyond that. She's not even considering that.
3: Right. Yeah. And I think maybe maybe with Sarah she'll be a little bit more aware. <laughs> but maybe since Catherine's the first one, she hasn't really that's thought true. about it
1: yet. <laughs> yeah. And they also mentioned because um I found it so weird that at first we they had 10 children, but we've only met four of them. And the other six are just never mentioned. <laughs> but then it was saying in my book that most likely the boys would probably be away at school, that's like true. just away, that's away. A so that's yeah. probably why we never met them. And if there were any girls, I mean, they just never mentioned them.
0: Yeah. They but, do mention like a three and a five year old or something, like really young kids. Who yeah. Were first ones I to think spot her. that's,
1: yeah, that's in my book. They said it was, that was Sarah and, um,
0: oh, I thought Sarah was, was a little bit one? older.
3: Yeah, there's Sarah and George and Harriet.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. George oh. and
3: Harriet are the little ones. Yeah. yeah. And right. obviously we know James.
1: Yeah, Sarah's the um, oldest but, girl yeah, that only
3: makes five. After Catherine.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah.
3: Interesting.
0: All right. Okay, so chapter 30. So Catherine. <laughs> I this I really related with this chapter a lot because Catherine's like mental state at the beginning of this chapter where she can't pay attention to anything. She can't sit still. She can't focus on her work. I feeling that myself for like the last three months. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I
3: I felt good. It it did remind me of you, of you mentioning that when the quarantine came, I was like, Oh, it sounds like Maya. (laughs) and most people actually i think i've heard i've heard quite a yeah. few people saying similar things yeah
0: yeah it's a good thing i don't have a mom here to be like will you please get off your butt <laughs> 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 you stop wandering around the house looking for something that's not going to entertain you <laughs> so she uh, she can't keep interest in anything for more than like 30 minutes Uh, She also seems really sad and unspirited. And for two days, her mom just kind of lets it slide (laughs) two whole days. But then she nicely encourages her to get to work. (laughs) She's like, You've been on vacation for months now. (laughs) And she's afraid that Catherine is finding home lacking after her time at Northanger. And so she wants her to read this article about how going to fancy places can spoil you for home. And Catherine is trying to focus on her work, but she loses focus yet again without even realizing it. So mom runs upstairs to get the article. <laughs> her mom in this part, I feel like her mom's we're seeing her insecurities come through with this. Like, mm. I she's more concerned that like, oh, being in a nice place has made you not appreciate us anymore, but it really has nothing to do with that. So I just think that's funny get a little yeah. right, bit of mom. <laughs> I think
1: – yeah, I thought from that that she was, like – because I, I would assume that Catherine's probably the oldest girl, so she's probably a little, like, afraid of her growing up because she seems to kind of avoid the subject of her even having these, like, romance feelings at all. Yeah. And they even – they noted in my book that this – her, like, focusing on, like, her being – spoiled by like rich friends and how her home is boring is like it mirrors I guess what Fanny Bernie did and Camilla with their parents and how it's actually
3: yeah mine says the same thing
1: (laughs) yeah it actually has to do with like you know heartbreak and stuff so it's like so like it's so funny to me that in normal like novels they would be like like oh did you get your heart broken and this one she is completely avoiding the subject whatsoever (laughs)
0: Yeah. I honestly don't even think she's considering it because, you know, it's like, they never even thought Catherine was pretty for the longest time. (laughs) That's right. I probably don't think that she's going to be inspiring much in the way of romance. Okay. So while she's looking upstairs, looking for this article, a visitor arrives. And when she comes (laughs) down,
2: that's what
0: I wrote in my book. Yay. (laughs) When she comes down, she meets Mr. Henry Tilney who immeasurably apologizes for intruding. I don't know if that's what it says in the book. But <laughs> he came to, or maybe I meant to say immediately, probably immediately apologizes for intruding. <laughs> he said he came to make sure Catherine got home. Okay. And Mrs. Morland doesn't really hold anything against him. And she seems to like him right away. I guess Catherine either barely has mentioned him or has been defending him anytime you know, the subject comes up. So, but i like to, I kind of think she maybe hasn't mentioned him because it's just too painful for her because she always clams up when Mm -hmm. she's like, I'll just start crying if I try to talk about Henry. (laughs) (laughs) So Catherine is feverish, but silent. And Mrs. Moreland is sure (laughs) this should restore Catherine's spirits for a while. And after about 15 minutes and some silence, (laughs) Henry asks, Catherine, if Mr. Mm -hmm. and Mrs. Allen are home, and wants Catherine to show him the way. And this is when Sarah says, You can see the house from the window. (laughs) (laughs) But no one acknowledges that Sarah just spoke. (laughs) And um, Catherine sets out to show Henry the way. So on the way. True
2: little
1: sister fashion. Yes.
0: She doesn't get it either. Yeah. (laughs) So first, Henry explains himself. And he does it so well that Catherine is assured of his affection, which I assume means he asked her to marry him. Right. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) They don't really come out and say any, a lot about this, but yeah, I get the impression first. He was like, I love you. And I want you to marry me. That was the first thing. (laughs) And then (laughs) (laughs) the author though admits that it was her That even though he does love her and he has for a while, that it was initially her exuberant love for him that first made him be interested in her, which is fine, you know. Sometimes
3: I love that, (laughs) I love that. That's like right up there with Lizzie Bennett fell in love with Mr. Darcy when she saw (laughs) Pimberly. That's what makes
0: me go, "Mm, Henry's probably a Leo. (laughs) 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 So she recognized. Oh, the op- uh, yeah. So Jane Austen goes on. She recognizes that it's derogatory of a heroine's dignity, but the credit of a wild imagination will at least be all her own. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Catherine is unutterably happy, and he tells a story now of what actually happened. So his father met him when he came, when he returned, and told him Catherine is gone and ordered him not to think of her ever again, and. Catherine is happy that he proposed to her before she had to hear all the particulars so that she was fortified to hear them. Her feelings hardened to a triumphant delight when she realizes she hadn't done anything wrong to deserve being kicked out. She was only guilty of being less rich than he thought she was. So John Thorpe, of course, was the one who first misled the general (laughs) at the theater. He was resolved to marry Catherine and so was talking up her wealth and the way of John Thorpe's everywhere. I was like, John <laughs> Thorpe and this, when we're learning about all of this behind the scenes machinations and how he like just talked her up because that's what he wanted. And he just says whatever he wants to be reality. I was like, okay, this is reminding me of certain politicians right now in our world. <laughs> um, so the more... Thorpe gets to know you and wants from you, the richer he thinks you are, magically. So he (laughs) spoke of her as like the future heiress of Fullerton, and the Allens were gonna treat her so well that she was gonna be their heir, and Catherine had no idea any of this was going on, and Henry and Eleanor didn't have any idea any of this were going on either. They were just like, I don't know why our father likes her so much, but let's go with it. (laughs) And then later it was Thorpe again, who told the general that she wasn't rich. Now that James was no longer useful to him, (laughs) he says that they're poor money grubbers with a huge family. And he, he knows the man who's going to inherit the Allens estate and it's not going to be any of them. Oh, Thorpe, 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 Thorpe. (sighs) Which I was like, is that, are you describing your own family, Thorpe? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I
3: thought I was like that sounds like the Thorpe family to me Which again
2: just (laughs) played into my What I was
0: saying earlier (laughs) (laughs) So it was uh, Yeah so the narrator Leaves it to the reader to figure out how much of This Henry told her then And how much she learned over time And through a letter from James And she's like you know She learned it all eventually maybe he didn't tell her it all Right then but you know you get that picture
3: (laughs) And I can't be bothered to tell you how it happened, so.
0: Yeah. all the minutiae <laughs> are <it> important. out. <laughs> so Catherine realizes that even though the general wasn't the murderer she suspected, she hadn't sinned against <laughs> his character or magnified his cruelty. And Henry is actually super embarrassed by his father. When he found out what his father had done, he, he wasn't intimidated by him, but he thought that he was bound by affection and behavior to Catherine. And he declared his intention to offer Catherine his hand and his father was furious, but Henry didn't care. And he went back to Woodstead immediately and then straight to Fullerton. So there's that bravery that we were looking for. You know, he can't stand up to his dad. Catherine didn't even <laughs> suspect right. it of him, but he has got a brave heart.
1: <laughs> that was right. the end of chapter 30. I um I was reading through some of these little annotations in my book about when they were revealing what actually happened about how she was kicked out because she was poor. And apparently a lot of like critics and commentators were saying that were criticizing her depiction of general Tilney, saying that it was implausible for a gentleman at the time to do something like that. And for someone who would appear to be, you know, not unintelligent. And it just, I was reading it and it just, it seemed like it wasn't a very implausible thing for him to do considering that he was clearly, you could tell he was stuck up from the beginning of how he was boasting about his riches and how just self-absorbed he was. He never really got to know Catherine. If he would have talked to her yeah. for like two seconds, he would have known she had no money.
2: Or so listened to her at all. <laughs> not out of the character.
1: <laughs> exactly. So it seems yeah. like not out of character for him to do that at all.
3: Yeah. You know. Especially one of the reviews was saying that oh, I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. i uh, no, go just real quick, I was gonna say um that earlier in my book it was saying that um I guess another thing that spoke to like how rude it was for him to ask her to leave was that he asked her to leave on a Sunday, which was apparently against the norms of the time, like you were not supposed was to travel on Sundays. And so it just spoke to how awful of a person he is. Yeah.
0: I didn't read an annotation (laughs) about that, but I was thinking, man, this is Sunday. They should all be at church. Like, this is like the rudest day to be kicking someone out of your house. (laughs) What were you going to say,
2: Kristen?
3: I was going to say that in one of the reviews that I read, they were saying that all the characters were well-drawn, except they thought the general was kind of weakly drawn, like not as Mm -hmm. believable Mm -hmm. as the others, just in general. And they mentioned that that it was unlikely that he would have done that. But I was thinking... And of course, I want to always think the best of Jane Austen. So I can't exactly say that I'm unbiased in this. But I was thinking, uh, you know, he has to play the part of sort of the gothic villain, even if in the end, John Thorpe is almost worse, yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
3: I think. But, but the general is supposed to be this kind of pantomime villain. And then he's supposed to be deflated. And no, he's not really like that, but he really is dangerous. So, I mean, I wonder if because she's working more from a model than from a person that she's met or people that she's met in real life. If that's why it seems less realistic to the people of the time, but it still feels totally believable to me. So
0: I think it seems unrealistic Mm -hmm. to the upper class white men of the time because they don't want to believe that's possible.
2: But there are countless (laughs)
0: examples in just Jane Austen's oeuvre that are men acting equally as badly, if not worse. And Catherine was not important, so that when the general realized that she wasn't an important person, he could treat her however he wanted. So I don't find it at all, <laughs> at all questionable that he yeah. could do that.
1: <laughs> I thought of um...
3: don't I don't disagree with you, but I would point out that's fiction. Well, you're at
1: least I don't
2: disagree. It's really a but... universe. <laughs> What was it?
1: yeah I was gonna um uh the way he reacted and just like the whole air around him reminded me I think it was Persuasion oh my god what's her name the main character from Persuasion her father Man. was it oh, Mr. Elliot
3: yeah 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 he's yeah. he does seem like Sir Walter oh yeah yeah,
0: yeah he does. so I was like there
1: seems to be a lot of mirroring and I I don't believe she would just make this up so
0: yeah it I, seems very believable <laughs> I was struck by this resemblance to the two characters and i was remembering when we did the general how somebody else that i was quoting had compared them but mm-hmm. since the general had like a profession that maybe mm. he had like you know a different kind of set of values in a certain way but oh, that's right um mm-hmm. anyway not. should we do the last chapter <laughs> chapter 31 yeah. so the moorlands are surprised at first about the engagement but since there is nothing surprising about Catherine being beloved. They accepted it happily with no objections. And I was like, oh, of course. There's nothing surprising about Catherine being beloved. Of course. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Catherine would make a poor housekeeper, though. But there's nothing like practice. So <laughs> who cares? Um, but they can't allow it. She's such a mother. I know. <laughs> They can't allow it, though, as long as his father doesn't consent. It's not like he has to, like, glowingly consent, but he just has to, you know, say he consents. Give him. Um, Yeah. (laughs) They didn't (laughs) want or expect any money from him or anything, but the lovebirds understood, but were worried about the ability to obtain that consent. (laughs) So Henry goes home for a while, and Catherine stays home and cries. (laughs) But the two seem to be writing each other fairly regularly. And we may be anxious.
3: Which they're not supposed to do.
0: are they not? They're not supposed oh. to do that.
3: Well, I mean, her parents don't care, but technically they're not supposed to be writing unless they're actually engaged. Oh. And they're technically not oh. engaged. Well that's remember that's why Marianne was like it was so scandalous right. that she was writing with um Willoughby. Right, right, right. Or
0: everybody thought she yeah. was. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, everybody considers them engaged except the general, so I guess it's fine. (laughs) 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 But her parents just kind of look the other way and are like fine with it. It says, we may be anxious for their future, but the narrator knows that her readers are smart enough to see that we're all hastening together to perfect felicity. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good line. She's like, I know you guys are smart enough to know that this is all going to be worked out at the end. (laughs) And the next couple of paragraphs, as a matter of fact. So how was such an impasse to be resolved? Well... We get, like, all the backstory of Eleanor suddenly. (laughs) It starts with Eleanor getting married to a man of fortune and consequence. This put the general in such a good mood that Eleanor was able to extract a promise that Henry could be a fool and marry if he wants to. I don't know. Did I not write down the whole backstory? Well, basically, Eleanor had been in love with this guy who had come to visit for a while. He's the one who left the laundry notes (laughs) (laughs) Catherine found.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have a title or enough money. I guess he was probably a second son and he suddenly came into them. So I'm guessing his older brother or whoever was going to inherit died and he became the next in line. Eleanor's marriage is given joy even to the narrator.
2: <laughs>
0: she <laughs> says she'd been impartial or partial to this man for a while, but he must be the most charming though, you can assume because... Eleanor deserves it. <laughs> and, yeah, it was actually his servants who left the washing bills in the cat. <laughs> okay, one of <if> Catherine's greatest, <laughs> I can't remember what they called it, um, adventures.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so now Eleanor <laughs> has become a viscountess, a viscountess, and she helps Henry get, get married, and she lets the general know that even though Catherine wasn't as rich as she thought she was, she wasn't as poor as John Thorpe said she was either so soon they're married the bells rang and everybody smiled to begin perfect happiness at the respective <laughs> ages of 26 and 18 is to do pretty well <laughs> the general's behavior actually gave the lovebirds time to get to know each other better and that added strength to their attachment. so it was actually kind of a good thing that they were separated for a while because they you know got to really know each other and closer. came closer And she says, I leave it to be settled by whomsoever it may concern whether the tendency of this work be altogether to to be altogether to recommend parental tyranny or reward filial disobedience. (laughs) Which is a perfect (laughs) last line. (laughs) Uh, Because maybe they wouldn't have fallen in love if it weren't for all the general's antics. And that's the end of the book. (laughs) Anything else about the last chapter?
1: Yeah they were um, in my notes they were saying how even up to like the end of the book she was parroting these like Anne Radcliffe novels because she like provides this like explanation for how they were able to marry out of nowhere. <laughs> like it, there was like no build-up to it And she just <laughs> kind of like pulled it back in and I thought it spoke really well to her like making fun of it but also really like praising the form because like we all we weren't like confused or kind of like put out by it we were all really happy that it happened yeah because we wanted the heroine to succeed so yeah so that was really she funny. takes
0: the best parts and yeah. polishes them up yeah <laughs> even more satisfying yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. do you have anything else Kristen? oh i just wanted to to mention that this and this is just a little thing the surprise of the moorlands on hearing that Catherine wants to get engaged reminds me of pride and prejudice And how surprised her family was Mm -hmm. when they found out that she'd been kind of having this whole other thing going on that had nothing
0: to do with them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty easy to keep your heart a secret when it's, like, just too awkward and painful to talk about it. (laughs) 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 Uh, All right, well... Favorite moments?
1: Do you have one, Maya? Because I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> At one of you.
0: Well, you know, I'm just going to give a little one because I just really loved this very last time I read through learning how much I liked Sarah, <laughs> who came out of nowhere. <laughs> when she's like, Sarah's <laughs> the only one who won't let it go. <laughs> but I just love that. <laughs> and her little, <laughs> you could see it from the house. It just maybe want to get to know Sarah a little bit more and see what happens with her life. <laughs> but I, I, I love the end. I love the last line. I love, you know, it's all so good. Um, but we can gush over it a little bit later.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you have a favorite moment?
2: Yeah, I think
1: mine is going to be when he shows up, when Henry shows up at her parents' house and is just, like it's never like a a thought for him that he's not going to marry her and it's just like he's just like by the way I'm gonna marry you and then he explains all the trouble and I thought it just was really sweet about how he's such a juxtaposition of his father who's obsessed with status and wealth it seems like and he just doesn't really care at all yeah he like fully accepts Catherine for who she is and knows her so well yeah it seems
2: i thought that was really sweet i
0: wonder if maybe he thought he cared about it until he really got to know her and this whole thing happened and he was like no i don't care about as much as i thought i did because i don't think henry even knew what Catherine's actual fortune was. maybe he did maybe it asked around but right because she's actually not bothered by it then um you might suspect she gets three thousand for -hmm. her marriage yeah, which I did find something where it was comparing different peoples, but I forgot to write it down. But it was saying like three <laughs> thousand. is pretty good. It's better than the Dashwood sisters get, mm-hmm. <laughs> and better than the Bennett girls. Yeah, so yeah. I think they each get a thousand. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. right. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. And they have ten kids, so they're doing pretty well.
2: <laughs> Too many.
3: Yeah, I uh, I really appreciated this time through, um, what a good friend Eleanor is yes. to Catherine. Cause we spent so much time with Isabella and talking about her and she ended up being such a bad friend, but Eleanor really cared about Catherine, took care of her. You know, yeah. she came in to help her in the morning, even though she didn't know anything about,
0: you know, yeah. fixing her hair or. And the first thing she does when she gets married is try to out. get it. Okay. For Henry and her to get married. Yeah. 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 She's just a really good friend. Yeah. Eleanor, these are definitely her best chapters. And because before, Eleanor was good <laughs> before this, but, you know, Henry is so our focus. And so Catherine's focus that it's almost like Eleanor kind of like, sh- you know, we don't really think about her too much. But now mm-hmm. when there's no Henry, it's mm-hmm. just Eleanor. We can see like, oh, she really values her. She wants her to stay for like another month because she loves having her there. And she tries to get them. I mean, that's like the first thing she does when she gets married I'm sure she was probably like I'm so happy for myself but I'm also so happy that I get to help out my brother and Catherine (laughs) yeah yeah
1: I was thinking about how much like this book put into perspective for me about like how big of a choice it was to find like who you're gonna marry
2: Mm.
1: just not only for like monetary reasons but like whoever like her marrying Henry like she's gonna spend the rest of her life with Henry our rest of his life whoever goes first and that's someone that she has no trouble spending time with but also she's gonna be with Eleanor and it just seems like it's such an important like that's those that's your circle of people you're with for the rest of your life there's not like you can go out and really make your friends
0: yeah Yeah. I mean thank god James didn't marry Isabella and she married John Thorpe I mean that would have been a tragedy (laughs) right there (laughs) yes
2: <laughs> yeah, a true
0: <laughs> Well, should we go ahead and get into the deep dive?
2: Yes, all definitely. Right.
0: Okay, so deep dive on Catherine this time. I um, didn't really bother to do the biographical details because we just read the whole dang book, so we know all the biographical details. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I found a couple of articles that. I just took a couple excerpts from that I thought were pretty interesting about Catherine and interpretations of her. So the first one is from an article. These are both I found on the Jasnah website. Okay, so this article is called A Surmise of Such Horror, Catherine Moreland's Imagination by Juliet McMaster. (laughs) Okay, so Catherine, unlike some characters, like Emma Woodhouse or Anne Elliot, is not very self-aware. And when she's proposed to by John Thorpe, she doesn't even realize what's happening and unintentionally gives him encouragement because of it. She's described as cheerful and open, with a mind about as ignorant and uninformed as the female mind of 17 usually is. And yet, she holds (laughs) our attention and sympathy as firmly as a more intricate and self-aware character. There's something of the holy fool about Catherine. She describes history as the quarrels of popes and kings with wars or pestilence in every page, the men all good for nothing and hardly any women at all. Her modest admission, I cannot speak well enough to be unintelligible is hailed by Henry as being an excellent satire in modern language. And for all of her ignorance, Catherine is, is wise though, if only intermittently, there's a quality to her ignorance that we as well as Henry respond to and Henry, and possibly the readers, are on the edge of being a little jaded and find value in Catherine's fresh feelings of every sort. I know I did. <laughs> and her honest relish of balls and plays. Henry is almost somehow rejuvenated by Catherine. So, you know, he needs her to help him see the world without that jaded viewpoint. Right, And it's a very long article. Yeah. I mean... I just, just picked the best parts. <laughs> of it. But then I also found this article, which I really appreciated. It was from the 2010 Jasna Essay Contest, and it got the first place in the high school division. And it's called Mrs. Radcliffe's Imitator, When Catherine Creates Her Own Mysteries by Kirsten Hall. So Catherine's flaws are essential to Jane Austen's message of a dynamic human condition, and her ability to transform the chaos she encounters. Jane Austen once remarked, pictures of perfection make me sick and wicked. Catherine epitomizes Austen's preference for imperfection. From the first pages, these flaws are emphasized by juxtaposing her to perfect gothic heroines. When she first meets Isabella, she she interprets her character by what she sees on the outside. Beautiful people appear virtuous, especially in gothic novels. And we know Isabella is beautiful. Isabella also gives Catherine attention and flatters her. Catherine is therefore constantly confused by the conflict of how Isabella acts on the outside in her true character. (laughs) 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 She also views General Tilney from a superficial lens, knowing from her novels that people are either good or bad. She begins to see bad traits in him and that fuels her negative view of him. Catherine's primary problem is that she has little experience with reading people and so tries to fit them into the frame of a gothic novel characters. They become distorted in the process. She doesn't recognize that unlike gothic novels, people are complex. Their souls are filled neither with all light or all dark. As part of Jane Austen's message of the complexity of human nature, she allows her own dynamic heroine to learn from her mistakes and to perceive correctly that people are not stagnant characters like those found in gothic novels. Jane Austen encourages her readers to grow from their mistakes and just as Catherine does to live and learn. (laughs) It was a really like a perfect little one page essay. I loved it. Definitely recommend reading that one. (laughs) (laughs) So that might not seem like a very in-depth character analysis, but you know, I feel like that's kind of what we've been doing this whole book is analyzing her. And I just like that, you know, It's more about like her discovering the complexities of human nature and how to use your imagination without it, you know, distorting the world, how you're looking at it. So I thought that was really interesting. And for sorting, again, I just found that um, astrology, us and characters, astrology, (laughs) and I found two for her as well. The first one is the one that I initially thought Yeah, this is probably Catherine before I even looked it up. And that is Pisces. (laughs) They're compassionate, curious, artistic, and gentle. This water sign is friendly and emotional. But Pisces' overly trusting nature can get them into trouble, as does their desire to escape the real world. As Catherine learns from her voracious reading of novels, not everything in life is as romantic and exciting as fiction. Pisces are real, like, dreamers they are very like go with the flow emotionally like Pisces (laughs) I imagine cry a lot as a Pisces moon I feel like
2: yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so that was the one I thought for her but the other one that I found was Sagittarius and I actually think that this one is based on the adaptations as opposed to the book interpretation of Catherine that's just my interpretation Mm -hmm. for reading it but says both a direct and intense fire sign and a flexible, constantly changing mutable sign. Naturally, Catherine Morland showcases this dichotomy in her desire to live the life of a Gothic romance and her willingness to embrace the comedy of manners. She actually experiences with Sagittarius, good humor, thirst for novelty and idealistic spirit. She makes the most of every experience in her first trip from home. Even if there are fewer abductions than she expected. I think, you know, Pisces and Sagittarius actually are both mutable signs, so they do have that in common. But I feel like Catherine's a little more of a dreamer. I don't feel like she really has that, like, fiery sagittarius to her.
1: <laughs> no, I like that
0: She really only gets angry a couple of times, right? Once. <laughs> and I don't even think she's really angry. She's just like, I feel Irritated. like you did brought me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then for Harry Potter, I just want to mention that I've noticed that there is a lot of J.K. Rowling controversy right now because of some very insensitive things that she's said. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking that maybe in the next check-in we might reconsider whether we're gonna keep doing Harry Potter ones, but I think for the sake of continuity, we should definitely do it for this last one, and also because (laughs) I think Catherine might be our one and only real main character Hufflepuff that we will ever. Get
2: <laughs> yep. That
0: <laughs> was that's right where I went too.
3: Girls a hufflepuff. Yep, I agree.
0: <laughs> so I just had to have the or her sorted for Harry Potter for that one. <laughs> yeah, I like,
1: that was really funny. She's like a True true hufflepuff.
0: <laughs> I don't even have any other categories that I feel like she could be in. No. She's not a Slytherin. She's not a Ravenclaw. No. Like she's not a Gryffindor. Definitely, no. <laughs> But I still think she would be in Hogwarts. <laughs> you know, she's got magic mm-hmm. in her. <laughs> I bet she gets into dream <laughs> interpretation in her <laughs> later years or something. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts. Summing it up um, the whole dang thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really had a lot of fun reading this book. I um, a lot more fun than I thought I would because I always I had this like preconceived notion you know a lot of like what you would consider like Austin-esque books to be kind of like maybe a little more dry and not as fun to get through but it was a lot more funny than I thought it would be and I just enjoyed it I had a really good time reading it I think I had more fun reading it with like a group than (laughs) I did by myself
0: (laughs) I really really loved it yeah I've never got to read it with other people before I feel like the only time I've ever read any Jane Austen well, I guess I read Pride and Prejudice in high school and I'm I might have read Sense and Sensibility in College, but again, they were just like really short. It was didn't feel like, you know, sitting down with your friends and really talking and getting
1: dissecting it. <laughs> what
0: well, do you uh what were you, what are your five thoughts, Kristen? I
3: just considering everything that's going on right now, it was just really good to laugh <laughs> as much as this book yeah. let me laugh and just was just funny for the sake of being funny yeah. and full of kindness you know so it's like a really good-hearted good-humored book yeah. and it was just really nice to sort of disappear <laughs> into that for a little while every mm-hmm. week
0: yeah i so. love the way jane austen can really point out the foolishness and follies of human nature and people but at the same time show you how great they can be and how kind-hearted and you know really Mm -hmm. um and not say that one person has all the goodness and one person has all the badness you know it's really a mix but it was just really kind of a revelation getting to know Catherine throughout the course Mm -hmm. of this book and just really being I just didn't know how much I liked her and getting to see all of her thoughts and the way she (laughs) reacted to people and when she was wronged or when you know, the way she just tried to not put any of her own stuff on other people and like tried to really self-evaluate herself. I just found that so refreshing, especially compared to like a John Thorpe who Mm. we've got, who probably doesn't ever think about anything he said, (laughs) doesn't ever reflect on the way he's behaved in the world, always assumes that people are the worst, I'm sure. So it's nice to have both of those kinds of characters in the same (laughs) book, you know?
2: Yeah, and I just yeah, really I enjoyed
0: agree. it. I loved reading it with you guys. It's feel felt so long, but considering the majority of it has taken place under quarantine, it's also kind of felt like uh,
2: <laughs> it's
0: filling the time. It's filling. <laughs> I don't know. It makes it kind of seem shorter <laughs> and longer at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. It's refreshing to have yeah. a, a dialogue w- about it rather yeah. than just reading it and putting it
3: yeah. down. It, yeah, and I have a lot of appreciation now as well just as um a work of art because you know this one's always quote unquote the least of her novels and yet i mean talking about it with you guys and spending so much time thinking about it really highlights just how yeah good it is how well she she put it together and thought through everything and yeah it's just (laughs) I'm impressed, even, even yeah. more impressed than usual. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, Mansfield Park has always been my favorite of the books, but after reading this one, I think this one is either number one or number two. We'll see what happens when I read the rest. I'm sure when I read mm-hmm. Emma, Emma will be number one. But for right now, <laughs> Northanger <Rainmaker laughs> Abbey is really almost creeped up over Mansfield Park, which I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. I love this book.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of different than most of her books. Not that any of her books are all that similar to each other even though they're all kind of similar to each other but they all I think are very different from each other as well Mm -hmm. yeah so I'm so glad we did this one first and I'm excited to get to another book someday but we're gonna take a little break from that (laughs) 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 but before we talk about what we're doing next let's do recommendations you want to go? Sure. Well, like Catherine, I have so little attention span. I've not been able to do much of anything except for play, um, (laughs) Breath of the Wild. That's like the only thing I can do that will not keep me from thinking about anything else, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I already recommended that once. So I'm going to (laughs) say the TV show that I have actually kept up with, which is amazing. And I really love it is what we do in the shadows. It's like a half an hour, Mm. it's kind of a vampire parody. It's not really a parody, but it's um, it's like a mockumentary <laughs> vampire type thing. Uh, the, one of the main characters, who is not a vampire, he's the uh, familiar, is Harvey Guilain, or Guilain. Gwe- I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he was on The Magicians, which I recommended before, too, and I love him on this show. Anyway, I like it. You guys should watch it. The movie was great, too. But the TV show, I really, really <laughs> have been enjoying. And I really like the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> A little anti-Jane Austin. <laughs> Not that it's, like, bad, but it's kind of vampire-y. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it fits in with uh, Northanger uh, Abbey no.
0: perfectly, maybe. <laughs> 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 All right, who's next?
2: Right. Christian? Um,
3: sure, I can go. You look ready. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm, um, I think I'm gonna plug some things that were a nice, like, bit of joy for the week. Because I feel like a lot of it's especially the last two weeks, a lot of like, you know, awful things are happening. And so it's been a couple things that I've kind of been a good break from constantly, like, you know, because I've been constantly kind of like trying to do more and more and see what I could do. And then I have just found it great to take a break every once in a while and yeah. just do something that's like turned your brains off for a second. I just finished uh, a Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO, which I thought was really, really fun. And there's <laughs> a really great like just short sketches and it's so good. it was just like things that <laughs> yeah, it was so good. And it has great people like Issa Rae and Natasha Rothwell who I think are so funny. And Angela Bassett's in one episode and it's just really, really, really good. And just waiting for season two. What
2: else? What else <laughs>
1: Uh, did we mention the the new Emma on the last episode?
0: I did recommend it to John to watch because he said he liked Wes Anderson. Uh, right. um. Yeah,
1: that was like, it was a really fun little quick getaway. It was like a little Wes Anderson. Well, I
0: definitely recommend that you watch it because it's one of the next things we're doing, people. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed
1: it. I found it um, to be funnier than the Gwyneth Paltrow version that we watched. And it was just really nice to look at, too. Yeah. <laughs> And then I have been playing this video game for the PS4 called Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's like a Western RPG open world kind of thing. And it's just been really enjoyable because it takes place in 1899, I believe. in kind of like the mid, like Maryland kind of area of U.S. And you're this, it's like the end of the cowboy era. And it's like, you know, the Pinkertons and all the police force starting to kind of come about and laws starting to be enacted.
0: It's not out west?
1: It's not. It's
0: I never real realized like that. The, <laughs> huh? I never realized that. I thought it was out like a western type video <laughs> game.
1: It's, the first one I think was a little bit more western based because I think it's a little earlier but this one kind of takes place at the turn of the century mm. of okay. the 20th century and it's like just about this group of I guess you would call them like outlaws of the time and how like their lifestyle is changing because they can't go out and, you know, rob trains as easily anymore and it's just kind of dealing with like how they're acclimating to like cities coming up and oh uh uh-huh. just like laws being enforced nationally and so it's just this really fun game I'm playing and you get to play as this character Arthur Morgan and you kind of get to decide if he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy and it just you get to play his whole life story on it's just been really fun
0: and really That's enjoyable cool. to play
1: um, I would I like to play
0: that, that if I had the proper gaming equipment <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's really fun i mm-hmm. would recommend it like i'm gonna i'm almost done with it i'm in the epilogue and i'm gonna play it again because there's so much stuff i didn't do the game is so oh large. wow
0: i've
1: been playing it for a couple months and it's just so large
0: <laughs> nice yep
1: yeah, that's hmm. a couple things i've enjoyed and i think at the end i'm just gonna plug some like little things like donations and stuff like that if that's okay
0: okay yeah that's go it. ahead Kristen. what's your recommendation? so i can't
3: remember if i've recommended it before so you'll have to tell me if i did but have i recommended community no (laughs) okay cool um so i'm going to recommend community (laughs) one of my all-time favorite tv shows so funny i mean speaking of laughing it's just incredibly smart makes amazing use of language i mean if you enjoy jane austen it has nothing to do with Jane Austen, but it's a similar approach to humor. I think in some ways it's a little bit more absurdist than she is less realistic by far. But so I, I started watching community because it came on the first year I started teaching at a community college. Oh, perfect! So it was going to be like, Oh, let's see what network TV thinks that community <laughs> college is like, and you know, it was okay for a little while. And then it got crazy. And then I just kept watching it because it was nuts. (laughs) Um, So if anybody hasn't seen it, it's a story kind of of a study group of people at a community college, all from different backgrounds, different perspectives. And it's in some kind of, it's not really an alternate universe, but it kind of feels that way because just really unrealistic things happen. But it's, it's hilarious and just so, so smart. And just anything can happen on the show and uh, it was a lot of fun. So it's been really fun to revisit it because I stopped watching, I guess I saw everything, but I would never go back and rewatch more than like the first, second, third seasons. After that, it kind of got a little, a little bit weaker in some ways, but so I hadn't revisited it in a long time and now it's on Netflix. So uh, we've been watching it some, which has been just a lot of fun. Yeah. So I would say you probably need to start (laughs) at the beginning. But just understand, it doesn't get really into its stride until maybe the Halloween or Christmas yeah. episode of the yeah. first season. So,
0: yeah, I definitely right watched most of it. Although I feel like there might have did it like at some point go to a streaming service or something. I might have kind of fallen off when mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah, so maybe I'll have to check that out on Netflix. <laughs> yeah,
1: we had the final um, seasons. Yeah, my uh, my boyfriend's a big fan of the show, and we had just finished watching it a couple weeks ago. Um, because I had never seen it, and Perfect. it was—I I enjoyed it a lot. It was really, really good.
0: Yeah, I love yeah Abed yeah. and wait Troy, <laughs> Troy and Abed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Troy, yeah, I That's love it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, Troy, and Abed in the morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really love all the actors on that show. They're all so good.
2: Very mm-hmm. enjoyable. <laughs>
3: yeah. Joel McHale and Ken Jeong—they've been doing a podcast on YouTube, oh. I guess. Since the quarantine oh, really? came, and so they've had different actors from there come on, and it's it's been amusing to watch them interact as real people mm-hmm. instead of characters. It sounds like um, Gillian Anderson stole a lot of props from the show, borrowed <laughs> <laughs> <I love> <laughs> a lot of props from the show, and um, they were they were saying that Allison Allison Brie can flirt with anything. <laughs> They're like, she can flirt with anything. And she picks up a banana and she just starts flirting with the banana. And it's, it's
0: something to behold, I have to say.
2: So it was uh, fun to watch them play around like
0: that. I would definitely have to try to find that. Yes. I love Allison Bree and um uh, Gillian Anderson. Or Gillian? Gillian not Anderson, <laughs> Jacobs. Jacobs. <laughs> Gillian Jacobs. <laughs> I think I said
3: Anderson, but yeah, I think it's Jacobs. Yes. Anderson's the other. One. <laughs>
0: X files, X files. Uh, Did you want to do more recommendations or do you just want to do that at the very end?
1: I'll do it at the very end after we plug our um, contact or before.
2: Yeah,
0: okay, okay. So before we do the contacts, I would like to ask you guys, next week is the check-in and we do record these a week early, so, uh, but I also, this whole thing has been very long. I kind of feel like we might need a check-in plus... Uh, either a secondary check-in or like mm-hmm. an, a week off or something just to, I mean, I personally am like a little hesitant to have a week off just because I feel like podcasts that take a week off are on a slippery slope to ending. <laughs> 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 so I'm reluctant to do it, but I'm also just kind of tired and I feel like I need to, you know, take a break, regroup before we start on a whole new thing. So, but um, I will say if you guys want to like write in or anything, I'd love to do like maybe even two check-ins so we can, you know, cover what you guys have to say about the books. If you watch Twin Peaks, I'd love to hear what you thought about that, especially if you did because of this podcast, (laughs) you know, like if you're a Jane Austen person who was watching (laughs) Twin Peaks for the first time, I'd love to hear what you thought about it. Any mashups or even just mashup ideas? I've got like three ideas, so I'll be happy to try another one if you guys got an idea for it. But we really would love just more interaction with you guys. You know how you're enjoying everything, how you're liking the books. If if you have any suggestions, I honestly thought we'd get at least some corrections by this point. So
1: I'm <laughs> <Yeah. shocked. laughs> hey,
0: that's a good sign. Um, yeah, maybe it is. But yeah, I just would love to hear from you guys. So if you want to get in contact with us, you can do it any of these places. <laughs>
1: <laughs> our Gmail is <laughs> manners of madness at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at manners of madness pod. Our Twitter is at manners madness. And our website is uh, manners of madness.com. And you can leave us a voice message.
0: Yes. So any of those ways we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I feel like there was something else I had to say. No. um well before we get to christian's last recommendations i do want to thank Kristen so so much from the bottom of our hearts you have been great throughout this whole thing i've loved having you as a guest and hopefully maybe you can come back and do the next book or do some more whatever you want to do we want you
3: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm so glad that you asked me to come on because like i said this has been a highlight of the <laughs> last few months getting the chance yeah. to do this with you guys.
0: Yeah. If you want to come jump on for Emma, okay. you're welcome to do that too. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I guess that's all. I can't believe we got through this whole freaking section. We did the entire first season of Twin Peaks and the entire Northanger. Abbey. is our first book and I'm so proud of us. It's so <laughs> happy. I can't wait to do, Something new. Good job, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I've quite enjoyed what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So um, join us next week. And we're going to let Christian give us a couple more recommendations for things you can do to lend your support in the world right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think probably in the future episodes, I'm just going to probably – I feel like maybe we should probably towards the end – Kind of like do like a pseudo segment where we kind of like post these things because there's always new things popping up that I'm finding of like petitions and places yeah, to donate. Unfortunately,
0: we're always a week behind, and the world is changing so quickly that it's like, oh my <laughs> gosh, I feel like people are thinking, oh, they're not topical at all. That was a whole week ago that happened. I know
1: the news <laughs> is changing so quickly. But I want to just start off with saying uh, rest in peace to Rayshard Brooks, who was killed by. Police in Atlanta a couple of days ago. Video is pretty, it's just like, you know, it's ridiculous at this point to watch these videos and to keep witnessing the same things over and over. I haven't seen any sort of GoFundMe's yet or petitions, but keep an eye out because I'm sure things will pop up. But it happened pretty recently as the recording. I also want to talk about uh, Brianna Taylor. She still has a GoFundMe going and a uh, petition going. And I think there's a couple contact things to contact like the governor and the uh, mayor of that city and a couple other people to find those um, I don't have them on me right now but just because her her killers are still not have not been arrested and charged and it seems like a pretty cut and dry kind of case so it's really really ridiculous and then I also wanted to plug this, Trans organization called Glitz Inc. And their Instagram is um, at Glitz, G L I T S underscore I N C. It's run by this trans woman named Cayenne Doracho. And it's this really wonderful organization, I think in New York, that is helping trans women who were recently released from, I think, Rikers find housing and have an opportunity to not be homeless, basically. They were doing this really big fundraiser because they were going to secure a lease. For a year for a building so that they could have like permanent almost like a semi-permanent residence for these trans women and their organization blew up and they raised their money so quickly that now their goal is to raise a million dollars to buy two buildings in new york so that oh. they can have like a permanent residence and i think last time i checked they were around eight hundred and fifty thousand, so it's so close um it's something that i was really just amazed by how much work this uh this woman kyan dora show is doing so i would suggest go to their instagram page at glits underscore inc and donate um, whatever you can and check out kyan dora shows page also her page is at d-o-r-o-s-h-o-w um, she's just an amazing woman who has been doing this work for a long time and i just think she's so wonderful and just like she had a video that she released, thanking everyone for donations and how like overwhelmed she was, and it was just so sweet. And I want to couple plug a couple, just three little businesses that are black-owned. One of them is a local tattoo shop in Jacksonville called Harajuku Tattoo. I think it's the only black women-owned tattoo shop in Northeast Florida.
0: Wow! And
1: check out her page; it's really I've really been cool. Her- getting
0: a tattoo.
1: <laughs> yeah, she does a lot of. Her specifically, she does a lot of kawaii kind of designs, like the Japanese kind of
0: uh-huh.
1: more feminine designs, which are really, really like gorgeous. And But she has a couple other tattoo artists that do different kind of things.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I'm definitely going to look at them once things get back to normal. And you're also, if you're also looking for uh, any sort of like pride merch for since it's pride month, Black Queer Nation is a place I bought a pride shirt, I think, from them. It was only like 20 bucks and a bunch of cute stuff there and there's this cool. artist i just started following called it's at g g g r i m e s and they are a queer black artist who does a lot of like prints that you can frame and tote bags and stuff and it's really really colorful beautiful art um so just check those places out i think they're really great
0: that's awesome yeah, yeah um i was thinking like post quarantine maybe i never <laughs> got a tattoo that's <laughs> She does. Um,
1: I have no idea what I get. A shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she does these flash sales. I think her normal rate is like, I think, one fifty an hour. But she does these flash sales where she'll, I think it's either weekly or monthly, she'll post on her Instagram page a sheet of like pre-drawn designs that you can get for $40, which I thought is so cheap. Wow. Um, and you just kind of pick from the sheet and you can go in. It changes, I think, either weekly or monthly. So I think... I might look to do that as my my first one, just to kind of get something smaller, and cause I think they're only one inch by one inch, so it's like a quick little thing.
0: Oh, cool! Yeah, awesome. Well, this might be our longest episode ever. We'll <laughs> <Yeah, this laughs> have to good. see when it's edited. Maybe that could be our extra week. I said it last week, like maybe we'll split it into two, but it ended up being like an hour and a half, so was it wasn't really worth splitting up? But if Mm -hmm. this one ends up being over two hours, well, it won't be over two hours. But if it ends up being two hours, I'll (laughs) split it up. Might as well. (laughs) But it deserves it because we're wrapping up a whole book. And it was a great book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, we are excited to see you guys next week for the check-in where we will be doing all sorts of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we'll tell you what's to come after that. So join us next week.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening.
2: Bye.
0: Bye Have good night.